The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 3.12-4.1. through 4.1. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, My name is Kevin Teasley, and um, uh, four years ago, my wife and I and my three children, we moved from uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I had been the RUF uh, campus minister, and we've been members at this church since then. It's a real privilege to be able to, to bring God's Word to you here this morning. Uh, I was a RUF campus minister for 19 years, and uh, then I took a job uh, four years ago with the RUF national office. I'm the national development dire- director of development uh, for, for RUF now. And so, you know, anytime I get a chance to, to get before a congregation, especially a congre- congregation like Christ Presbyterian Church that has just been a, a longtime friend and, and partner uh, with RUF, I, I want to take advantage of that opportunity to say thanks. Um, when I came on staff with RUF in 1996, RUF was on 30 campuses. And, and now, uh, this fall, we will, that number is now at 160. And the, the impact of the ministry really is incredible, and it really is exciting, it's, it's, and it's exploding all over the country. I was just in Atlanta, Georgia, for the, the RUF new staff orientation, where we welcomed you know, 10 or 15 new RUF campus ministers. Uh, and in addition to that, we, um, RUF has an internship program that, that many of you are familiar with because you support a lot of RUF interns and campus ministers for that matter. Um, but there's an, RUF has this two-year internship program where recent college graduates go work you know, with an, uh, a campus minister on, all across, on campuses all across the country. We had our biggest uh, class of interns ever. We welcomed 80 new RUF interns uh, last year, last week. And that is in addition to the 60 returning interns. And so the, the scope and, of, and impact of this ministry is unbelievable. And, um, and I, I look back uh, at the last, now, what, 23 years of my life, and I really do believe that I've been able to be a part of something really special that, that God has, has blessed and has had his hand on 
And, and so to come before Christ Presbyterian Church, who have literally been with RUF since the beginning, um, and say thank you really is a privilege and a pleasure for me. And, and just to, to hopefully give you some kind of a sense of the special thing that you have been a part of. Um, and we pray that the Lord will continue to bless RUF in the future the way he has in the past. And um, one of my good friends, Russ Whitfield, uh, said recently that he believes that we're just beginning to see the mark and the impact of RUF on, on our country and, in, and on, on the church. And I, and I really do think he's right. And so to just be able to say thank you um, is, is a privilege for me. Um, I love this ministry. I was, I'm a product of the ministry. For 19 years, I watched this ministry impact a lot of lives and, and build and shape the church across the country. Um, but this fall, uh, RUF has taken on a whole new meaning for me because my little girl's going to college. <laughs> and, um, and so I love the ministry even more. And so thank you for uh, allowing me that personal privilege. And um, now to turn our attention uh, to, the, to the Word of God and the passage that was just read for you. I loved how Paul Lim put it last week where he just said something incredible has really happened in Paul's life. And what happened to Paul was Damascus, right? Um, Paul was on his way to Damascus to, to persecute Christians, to try to stamp out, you know, the followers of Christ. And, and, and Jesus, you know, knocks him off his horse, gra- you know, knocks him to the ground, grabs him by his collar, you know, and, and really shakes him up. And um, Paul says here in this passage, you know, he talks about trying to take hold of something and press on. And, um, but the reason that he says... He says, I'm trying to take hold of that which has taken hold of me, right? It's like Paul was on his way to Damascus, and Jesus comes in like this heat-seeking missile and just grabs hold of him, right? And Paul now is saying, and my entire life now is trying to take hold of the one who took hold of me. That, that's, what, that's basically what he's saying right here in this passage. Something so beautiful, something so amazing, it's caused Paul to... He had to now reorient the entire way he thought about his life. And what, you know, the passage that in verses 1 through 11 that Paul talked about last week, Paul M. talked about, um, you know, he just says, look, all my, Paul is saying, all my credentials, all my hard work, all my effort, all the things that I thought were so wonderful about me, it's nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. And it's nothing compared to being found in him. It's not my hard work. It's not my efforts. It's not my resume that I offer up to God that he notices, but he looks at me and he sees Christ in me. And that is my hope. That is what's so beautiful. That's what's so amazing. And it's taken hold of Paul and it's changed him forever. Okay. And he beautifully lays out, I think it's just one of the most beautiful summaries of the doctrine of justification in the whole Bible, those first 11 verses. Um, The doctrine of justification, that all your sins have been pardoned. The righteousness of Christ, you know, his robes of righteousness have been placed upon you, right? And it's free. It's not earned. You can't, you can't earn this. You can't work for this. If you are in Christ, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more, any less than he already does, because it's all in Christ. You're found in him. It's secure. That is our confidence. And that's what he was talking about last week. But here's the, here, and you don't work for that. You can't work. You can't earn that. But the paradox, and what this passage this week kind of talks about, is Paul is saying that if you understand that message, you understand the gospel, 
you get taken hold of that, that beauty, then guess what? You're going to start to want to work, you're going to want to work hard. Because a Christian is somebody who's been taken hold of by Jesus, been taken hold of by the gospel. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. And now you want your life to just revolve around him. Paul's passion is now to take hold of the one who has taken hold of him. And that's his wish. That's his desire for these Christians here at Philippi. That's his desire. That's his passion. That's his goal for us here this morning. And he gives us three great truths or reminders, if you will, that I want to highlight for us. And one, he shows us that Christianity is hard work. Following Jesus is hard work. Then he gives us this amazing lesson about humility and what maturity really is. And then thirdly, he wants us to remember who we are as Christians. He gives us that great reminder. And so, first of all, he reminds us that Christianity is is hard work. In verse 13, he talks about straining forward to this goal, straining up to. The, The language all throughout this passage is like a sprinter, you know, running a race. I think about Hussein Bolt, you know, and you think of when you see him running a race and he gets closer to, he gets close to that finish line. I mean, he is stretching, he is straining. I spent probably too many hours watching Royal Ascot horse races yesterday, you know, and you think about the power of those horses and they are, I mean, they are getting after it. They are straining towards that finish line. That's the language that you get right here that you see. And the the, the Christian life is hard work. The struggle's real. And, I mean, goodness, if, if you're like me, a lot of Sunday mornings, just getting to church on Sunday morning, the struggle's real, right? And that's a lot of hard work. But think about struggles in your life. I think about struggles in my own life. I think about how divided my own heart is and the inconsistent affections that I have for the things of the Lord. I mean, the struggle is hard, and you want to give up, Right? I want to quit. And Paul is saying, never give up. Keep straining. Keep pressing. Keep going forward. Two times in this passage, he says, press on. He says in verse 12, I press on to make it my own. Verse 14, he says, I press on towards the goal. And and that phrase, press on, it's, it's it's like a hunter pursuing or tracking a deer. It actually is a great phrase to describe Paul's unwavering persecution of Christians before he is converted. He was just pressing on, pressing down on Christians. He was, it, and, if, and when I think about that, it makes me think about Javert in Le Mis and his pursuit of Jean Valjean, just unwavering, steady, patient. I mean, he was not going to stop, right? He was going to get him. That's, that's this press on idea. And... Paul's life before he was converted was dominated by, per, you know, he was, pers- going to pr- he was pressing on to persecute Christians. But his post-conversion life, he was still hunting down something, but now it's something different, and he calls it the prize, the, a goal. Here he says the upward call of God in verse 14. That, that's what he's after. And, and that should take our minds to the Colosseum in ancient Rome, and you'd have these screaming spectators there, and you'd have Caesar up in his royal box, and, and if you were the contestant who's just, you know, you were the one who just won the 100-meter race, 
What would happen at that point is that Caesar would call you up to his box. And so you would go up to his box, you would kneel before him, the crowd is roaring and applauding, and he would take the victory wreath and he would place it you know, on your head. The upward call, right? That, that's the image that Paul is painting for us right here. And you know, I don't, I don't know what your goal is. I don't know what your prize is. I, when, when you think about, you know, the emperor placing a wreath on your head, wh- what is it that you hear him saying? You know, you were the best mom ever. All right, you were the best preacher ever. You had the best church ever. You know, or, or you, you worked harder than anybody else. You were better than everybody else, right? Um, I, wh- what is it for you? Um, you are nicer than everybody. What, what is it that you hear you know, him saying? And I have some moments in my life of sanity, okay? <laughs> they're, and they're few and far between, and I hope they're getting closer together. But I have these real moments in my life where my goal is knowing Jesus and pursuing him and pursuing his, pursuing his glory. That, and that's the goal. That, that's the prize. That's the upward call of God. And I love that Paul says in verse 14 that all this is accomplished in Jesus. You know, last week's passage in verses 1 through 11, it's clear that our justification is all accomplished in Christ. But it's not just our justification, but that process of growing more and more like Christ and becoming more and more like Him and sin being put to death in our our life and us becoming more and more alive to Christ, that's even accomplished in Christ. He says that in verse 14. And you know, he, he never look, God never looks at Paul and says, it's all up to you. You better get busy. You better get after it or else, Paul, you know, I'm going to, you know, you're done. Get after it. That, he, he never says that to him. Um, you know, you think about a, a lifelong struggle or your, a battle with sin, you know, your undivided heart like my undivided heart. And if you think about your walk with Christ like this journey or, or this hike, you're going along on this trail and all of a sudden there's this huge, massive log, you know, right there in front of you. And it's so massive, it's so big, you can't, you know, you can't continue. It's, it's going to totally, you know, mess up your, your journey, if you will. And, um, and, and think about that as like a sin you're struggling with, you know, maybe, maybe some sort of addiction or just whatever it is you're struggling with. And, you know, there's, there's probably four options that, that there are to getting that out of your path, out of your way. And one is, you can just reach down there and move, move it, you know, just move the log. But the problem is, it's so big that, that you can't do anything with it. You know, you can't even move it an inch. Okay, the other option would be, okay, God, you grab one end and I'll grab the other. And we'll move this thing. Well, the problem is, is it's so big, it's got, you can't even move your end. You can't even pick up your side, so it's still there. The other one, that, the other option that gets a lot of press these days is, well, I'm just going to let go and let God, right? If that law is going to move, you know, God's just going to have to do it. Well, okay, you're going to stand back and, and do nothing, and guess what? The law's still going to be there, right? So, so here's the key. This, is, this illustration helps me because basically it's all about being in Christ, you being in Christ, Christ being in you. I'm going to reach over there. I'm going to dig. I'm going to reach down. I'm going to pick up that log and I'm going to move it. And court, by all human appearance, it's going to look like it's me moving that log. But what it really is is it's Christ in me moving that log, right? It's all about Him. 
He's the one who accomplishes it. He's the one who does it. It looks like I'm the one doing it, but it's really Christ. In, Paul's already said in his letter to the Philippians where he said, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. He's already said, look, the one who began the good work in you, he's going to be the one to carry it to completion, right? Hard work. Sanctification, it's, it's hard work. And it's not going to be over until we are finally, when you know, Jesus comes in and he, gra- he takes hold of you, right? And you take hold of him. You, when you unite to Christ, you begin this lifelong journey in which just moment by moment, you know, day by day, he's conforming you to his image and making you look more and more like him. And that process is going to be completed and culminated when we finally see him face to face and we fall into his arms. But that's glorification. But until then, it's sanctification and it's hard work and Jesus is in you. That's what, he, that's what he's telling us there. The next point I want, to, want you to see is he gives us this amazing example and great little lesson about humility and what I would say real maturity is. Because here's one of the things is, you know, hard work, it can make you proud, right? You know, you, you work real hard at something, you accomplish something, and then you look at it and you say, man, look what I did, you know? It, and and it, even in the Christian life, it's, it's easy and tempting for us to think that, that, that we've arrived, right? Um, and, and I think Paul, wants, I think some of the, the false teachers you know, they were teaching that, that you can get to a point, a place in the Christian life where you're perfect, you know, where, you're, um, where you have arrived and you don't struggle anymore. And I think Paul is kind of taking that head on here. And because, uh, you know, if you think that you've arrived in the Christian life, um, you're going to have a hard time listening to other people. You're, you're not going to ask a lot of questions of other people because you think you've got it all figured out. You're going to have a lot to teach other people, but you're not going to be very teachable because you're, you're going to give a lot of advice, but you're not going to take a lot of advice or ask for a, a lot of advice. You become, it's a dangerous thing when you start thinking that you've arrived, right? And I love what he says in verse 12. Paul says, I haven't already attained all this. Um, I'm not there yet. And that's a huge statement, I think, and it really encourages me because you've got the Apostle Paul saying, I'm radically dissatisfied with where I am in the Christian life. And if there's anything I know of in my heart is that feeling, is I'm not satisfied. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. And you know, I, I love that the Apostle Paul, Paul is saying, look, nobody's got it all figured out. Nobody's got it all together, including me, right? And if there was ever somebody who was a candidate for being perfect, you know, and having it all together, it's the Apostle Paul. You're with me on that. If anybody had a right to say that, it would have been him. But he's saying, I don't have it figured out. You don't have it figured out. I haven't obtained all this yet, you know? There's, he's been a Christian 20, 30 years by now. And he says, I don't, I haven't obtained all this yet. You just never reach the point where you've arrived and you've got it, you know? Like, now I'm mature, okay? That, that's glorification. And until then, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. You know, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, okay? Um, I've been a Christian now for, gosh, 28 years. And 
my sin hadn't gone anywhere. It's changed forms. It's moving in different directions and things like that. But the longer I'm a Christian, the more I see I need Jesus. When I was 20 years old, I was just scratching the surface of my sinfulness, right? There's a great quote by J.I. Packer where he talks about the older he gets, and he says, my growth in grace is downward. Because, you know, the more you grow, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize I'm not like Jesus. Um, the more I got more to learn, I got more to grow. You know, the, the longer you're a Christian, it's like you finally start to see more and more need for him to die on the cross for you, right? You never arrive at that place um, where you don't need him anymore, desperately need him. And I think an even better, uh, a great definition of maturity is that you're just a person who really is aware of your need to grow and to learn and to change and you're not perfect and that you actually need Jesus to die on the cross uh, for you. Um, Humility, it starts, I I think, Paul's statement here. I, I haven't attained all this yet. I don't have it figured out. All I can do is hold fast to what God has already revealed to me. And as I think about the Apostle Paul putting it like this to these people, I just think, that all, Kevin, at minimum, that should allow me to be a little more patient with people, a little more gracious, a little more humble, right? You know, Jesus has come in and taken hold of Paul. And, and what that did is it, it created in him... Not just this consuming passion to know Jesus fully and intimately, but it also created in him an awareness that that's not going to happen in an instant, in a moment. And and sanctification, it is a process, and it's hard work. And if you're going to stand firm, like Paul tells us at the end of this passage, if you're going to press on, uh, like he tells us uh, here in this passage, you got to know this third point that we're going to look at here. He says, you've got to remember who you are. You've got to know who you are. And apparently, there were people in their midst that had forgotten who they are. And they're starting to live and act like they are bound by this earth. Okay? And so Paul says, you're forgetting who you are. You're not bound to this earth, but you're citizens of heaven. And, you, and he makes this contrast in verse 19 you know, people who have their minds set on earthly things versus, in verse 20, people who know that their citizenship is in heaven. And, you know, people who have been taken hold of by Christ, they start to have a heavenly focus. And, and you're going to grow tired, you're going to grow weary, you're going to get exhausted if you don't keep your mind focused on heaven and the fact that that is where your real citizenship uh, lies. That's what he's trying to remind us. And if, if, you're, if your mind is set on earthly things, and I'm telling you, I need to be reminded of this all the time because I like this world a lot, and I've grown pretty accustomed to it, right? And so I need this kind of a reminder. But, and, and when your mind is set on earthly things, you start to worship your, your, your cravings. You start to, to follow your, your appetite. You know, he says in verse 19, he says, their God is their belly, you know? And, and maybe he, all he has in mind is, is food and, and gluttony, okay? Maybe that really is what he's going after here. And, and f- but food, like any created thing, it's a great thing that was given by God for us to enjoy. But when, when it becomes your God, it's a, it becomes a terrible thing. 
and a destructive thing. And, and, whether, and, and it's a real temptation for us to use food or, or anything else to satisfy the eternal longing that every one of us possesses, right? You know, in the study of Ecclesiastes, there's that great passage that where, where the writer of Ecclesiastes just says that eternity is written on our hearts, right? That's what we were built for. That's what we're longing for. But what happens is, is we start taking created things trying to satisfy that longing, trying to satisfy that craving. Um, and, and food or whatever, it can become a place we go for comfort and for help and for meaning, for significance, for satisfaction. And, and it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It, it's just not going to satisfy, right? Um, how many of y'all read The Onion, you know, the internet publication? It's kind of a satirical, sarcastic, you know, really funny. Um, I, came, I came across this little article in The Onion, and it said this, that the headline says this, Giant Burrito Solves All of Man's Problems for Six Precious Minutes. <laughs> How's that? And it's in Greensboro, North Carolina. According to sources at a local Cordoba, a 31-year-old advertising sales associate, Anthony Garrett, is about to purchase an extra-large burrito that will completely resolve every concern, burden, and troublesome issue in his life for six blissful minutes, right? Reports confirm that upon taking his first bite, Garrett was spared any guilt whatsoever for not calling or visiting his parents more often. <laughs> and he was granted immediate resolution to a recent fight with his girlfriend, right? and it goes on and on like that. You know, just the, the satisfaction and the, the meaning and the purpose that this burrito brought this guy. And, um, you know, we, we laugh at that, and it's funny, you know, until I just think about how many ways I do that in my life. It, it may not be with a burrito, but I watched about two hours of horse racing yesterday and about two hours of the PGA Tour, and then I watched the College World Series last night. Um, we can do it with anything, ESPN, video games, uh, sexual sins, ministry, gluttony with food, social media. I mean, where is it that you go for comfort? Um, how, where, what do you do to deal with stress? Uh, where do you find your six precious minutes? And the reason Paul is warning us of this is because gluttony of anything can make you forget who you are. And what it does is it starts to deaden your longing and my longing for the new world, right? The new heavens and the new earth. And it, he, he uses it, and it makes you an enemy of the cross, right? It, it starts to make Jesus and his cross distasteful to you because basically what you start doing is stiff-arming God so that you can be with your precious, right? And it ends in destruction, he says in verse 19, because you know the deal we were built for eternity. That's what we're after. And nothing in this world is going to satisfy that longing. And so it just takes more and more and more of whatever that thing is until it just destroys you, right? But I love Paul pushes back and he gives us the antidote here in verse 20. He says, but wait, wait, wait. There's different for you. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the antidote right there. He's reminding us again, we're running towards Jesus. That's the language throughout this whole passage. We're waiting for Jesus. And you get this idea that 
what a Christian is doing is just running and running and running after Jesus until finally we cross that line and we fall into his arms, right, and see him face to face and are forever in his presence. And you know, when, when the Apostle Paul right here, when he starts talking about heaven, he's talking about something huge. And I would say bigger than what I typically think about when I think about heaven or maybe, maybe some of you think about when you think about heaven. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. My, my dad passed away three years ago, almost exactly. But, but right now, at this moment, my father, he died, he knew the Lord. My father is more alive than he's ever been in his life, right now at this very moment, worshiping his Lord and Savior, with all the other believers that have died, you know, knowing the Lord. And, but what Paul is talking about here in this passage, he's talking about something even bigger than what my dad is experiencing right now. Okay? The Christian hope for the new world, it's something that is incredibly tangible, incredibly physical, it's earthy, it's gritty, and if, if you read through the Scriptures... And you see the picture that it paints of, of the new heavens and the new earth. You don't get this image so much of it's something that we're all going to go up to, but that heaven is going to come down, right? That, that's the picture that you get. He says in verse 21 that one day that we're awaiting the Savior who's going to subject all things to himself there in verse 21. That one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to restore all nature. He's going to reconcile all people, all nations. He's going to heal souls. He's going to resurrect bodies, right? That's what's in store. You know, for us, you know, all of creation, according to Romans 8, is longing for this, is groaning after this, Right? And that's what you and I are after. My, my, my oldest daughter asked me a few weeks ago, we were driving down Hillsborough Road, and she asked me the question, she goes, Dad, why do you believe in Christianity? Like, why do you believe this stuff? Why do you think it's, it's, this is true? And, and you know, there, there's probably a lot of reasons, and, but the one that came to my mind, and I think if I really am honest, this is probably the deal for me and what kind of does it for me, it's this idea, is I got... I got a pretty great life, if you want to know the truth. And, and like I said, I struggle with becoming too accustomed to this world. Um, I, my wife and I were about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. I got these three great kids. I got a house, which I'm real, I've only been here four years, but I'm realizing the house in Williamson County is a big deal, okay? <laughs> right? Laugh with me on that, okay? But I'm just trying to say, I got cars, okay? I got, good, I got pretty good health. If you, you know, it's not enough, it is not enough, and I long for more. I know deep down in my heart of hearts the disappointments that I'm constantly feeling in this world. I was built for more than this world can ever offer, and this whole idea of the new heavens and the new earth, that's the only thing that comes close to making sense out of it. I don't know if you've ever read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis, but it's unbelievable, and he writes about how we've got this inconsolable secret inside of us right, where everyone, and, and, it, and it's something that lies just outside of our grasp, and just when you think you got it, it's gone, you know what I'm saying? I know you know this feeling I'm talking about, and he, he talks about how it's this scent of a flower that we've never smelled, it's this, it's this song, this music from a song we've never heard, it's news from a country that we've never visited, it's 
stunningly beautiful the way that he paints this picture. You know, and what it is is he just he even says it. He says, "I'm trying to rip open. I'm trying to rip open something inside of you." And every time I read it, it gets ripped open, and I realize I'm built for more than this world can ever offer, right? And this is it. This is what we were built for. He says in verse 20, "We await a savior." You know that word "await." The in in it's this persistent yearning, this persistent longing and groaning, just like creation. Longing for the sons and daughters to be revealed. That's talking about us as believers, people Jesus has taken hold of. I mean, my, my, my dad, at, at the end of his life, I was with him, and he was in hospice care. And he couldn't, he couldn't hold his head up, let alone get up out of that bed. He couldn't talk. His, his mind was failing. His eyes were failing. And, and that was a powerful traumatic moment for me to, to be there. But I, in addition to watching my dad go through that, the other thing that I was powerfully hit with was, was one day that's going to be me in that bed, right? But, but the hope that Paul holds forth here in this passage is that, is that one day my dad and me and all of those who die in the Lord are going to have a glorious body like Jesus. And his eyes are going to work again better than 2020. His, his legs are going to work again and he's going to be able to rise up and walk. It's un- his mouth is going to work. His lungs are going to work again. That's what we were built for. That's the hope. One day even Kevin Teasley is going to rise again resurrected and glorified like Jesus. The, remember, your citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul is saying here. I, one of um, growing up in Mississippi, my dad owned a dry cleaners. That's what he. That's what he did all through my my you know middle school, high school, and college, and even into seminary. He owned this dry cleaners, and um, and there was a lady that pressed clothes for him the entire time and was working there before my dad bought the dry cleaners. Was working there after he left, and her name was Ruby. And, and she is one of my favorite people in the, entire, in the top three wisest people I've ever known. And, um, and she loved the Lord. She walked closely with the Lord. And um, I, would, I would drive home from Ole Miss. I'd go home for the weekend uh, from Ole Miss. And I would do everything I could to get home before 5 o'clock before Ruby left the cleaners because I just wanted to go talk to her. And we'd sit up there for hours in the back of the dry cleaners just talking and me listening to her wisdom and, um, and, and her talking to me about Jesus and about heaven. Um, she, and unbelievably wise. And she, my family loved her. She loved our family. We became really great friends. And when my dad was in hospice and, um, and, and we knew that, that the end was coming, my mom says to me, you need to go call Ruby, Kevin, who's you know, having health problems of her own uh, at this point. Uh, she was older than my father. And so... I, I take my phone and I walk out into the hallway and I call up Ruby. And, um, and I said, hey, Ruby, this is, this is Kevin Teasley. And she says, you know, Kevin, you don't even have to tell me why you're calling. I know why you're calling. I, I've been keeping up with what's going on with your dad, and I'm really sorry about that. And I'm, Ruby, I, yeah, it's, um, it's bad, and I think we're nearing the end. And, and I'll never forget what Ruby said to me. She goes, she goes, Kevin, you go in there. 
And you go tell Teasley, that's what she called my dad, you know. And I knew whenever Ruby started talking like that that something good was coming. That's why I drove down from Ole Miss every week because I knew I was going to hear something like this. She goes, you go in there and you go tell Teasley that right now he's, on the va- he's in the valley of the shadow of death. But you tell him we don't fear shadows, that death is just a shadow. And Jesus is waiting on the other side and he's about to go home. We're citizens of heaven. You know, you, you probably heard the saying, it's a common saying you hear every now and then, that, um, you know, don't be so, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know that saying? I'm just telling you what, I've yet to meet, I've yet to meet that person. Where is that person that's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good? You know, I agree more with C.S. Lewis, who says that the people who did the most for this world thought the most about the next. Stand firm in this, is what the Apostle Paul says. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, you would just continue to work this in, that you'd give us this kind of vision. Even as we go now to, the, to your table, uh, this meal that we're about to partake in ought to stir up in us a longing for the new creation. And just as a believer, as believers, we're actually already a part of that. Uh, and if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Oh, work this in, I pray.